following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Welcome to the Forbes Sports Money Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. On this show, we talk about the business of sports. My guest today is Jonathan Kraft. Jonathan's the president of the New England Patriots. Jonathan, thanks a lot for taking the time to come on the show. Anytime, Michael. Jonathan, one thing, you and I have spoken several times over the years, and I don't think one question I've never asked you that uh, I was thinking about before we started today was kind of growing up, uh, going to the Pats games and then leading up to when your dad bought the team, what was that whole experience like? And, and the moment he came and, and said to you, you know, we own the Patriots. Well, I was with him when we were, when we were working on the deal. And I think, I think he would tell you that the way we structured it financially, I was, I was young, but I wasn't a kid anymore. I was in my late twenties and I had just left Bain and, you know, so we we worked on the structuring. So that wasn't so much of a surprise as I was as I was. Uh, it was basically he and I doing that deal uh, together. So I think it was a surprise when we told the rest of the family we had gotten it done for them. But for my brothers and I, I we grew up. I, I'm the oldest of of four boys and I'll never forget the day in 71 when my dad walked into the house it's one of my earliest recollections of childhood and opened his briefcase and he said here are his season tickets to the Patriots in their new stadium it was the year that Schaefer Stadium was opening and they had just drafted Jim Plunkett and my dad and my brothers and I we would go to the games and we just it was so much fun and the Patriots didn't win a lot of games in those days but we the 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 bonding that took place between us as well as the people we used to sit with it just it was a big part of our childhood and growing up and then before we bought the team in 94 the there was a real risk that the team was going to St. Louis and we we owned at that point in time we had bought Foxborough Stadium out of bankruptcy and in 89 and and um we we uh, we just the idea of not having an NFL football team in our town and and something to do on Sundays really weighed heavily on us and for my dad who had been a young boy when the Braves left town the Boston Braves who were his team and he used to sell newspapers outside of the park and then sneak in and watch for him he had been through that once before and you know fortunately at this point he was in a position to prevent it from happening again and it was just it was fun to be. It was fun to be a part of it, and uh, and to to see it all come together. And then once we got it done, I've told. I don't know if I've told you this story before, but he and I we got the deal closed in St. Louis with a guy named Jim Orthwine who owned the team, and we 
we got the last we were going to announce the deal the next day in Boston because Mr. Orthwine um I think people in St. Louis thought he was going to bring the team there as part of the they had built the TWA dome but lost the expansion um opportunity that had gone to Carolina and Jacksonville and so St. Louis was excited that the Patriots were going to maybe be moving there because a St. Louis uh, business person owned them. And we got the deal done physically while in downtown St. Louis, but they said we're going to announce this in Boston tomorrow. And we ran to the airport there and got the last flight home. It was a TWA flight, an airline that doesn't exist anymore. And we each got assigned middle seats and coach. And I'll never forget my dad you know, taking money out of his pocket and paying people a few hundred bucks to move so we could sit across the aisle from each other and uh, the whole way home i was thinking about how much debt we were taking on for an asset that didn't have any positive ebitda and all he kept thinking about was uh the fact that you know that another generation of kids in boston wasn't going to have to lose a sports team and then what we could do to really make it a community asset so, anyhow, long-winded answer. Oh, that, that, that's that's a, a very interesting uh, story. I, I also wonder, you coming from an analytical side, in other words, at Bain, and as you mentioned, you were in your 20s, and your dad, at least initially, you know, coming from the side of the big fan, used to sneak into the Pats games, doesn't want this team to leave Boston and go to St. Louis. As you're analyzing this deal, was there any sort of uh, uh, back and forth between you and your dad in terms of you being sort of the rational quant saying, Dad, the team's losing money. You know, how much are we really going to pay for this thing? And your father being like, you know what? This team is not leaving Boston. We're going to have season tickets as a family as we have for many years right here, I'm not really looking at every little red cent here. I'm not sure he and I had one of those moments with each other. I I think I knew it was important to him to do this, and I I loved football and, and as well, and I wanted us to do it. I think it was more uh, other members of the family, in particular my mom, who when she heard about what we had paid, uh, thought it was crazy. I think I think we knew we were paying too much for what it was at the time, meaning what the Patriots' operation was. But if you could if you could elevate the the business, you know, you like to keep the operating improvements that you're able to make for yourself for profit when you're we're like when we're looking at buying packaging businesses or paper businesses in a, which is the the first industry we're in and still are very much active in today when you're buying a company you don't want to give away synergy value and you don't want to give away value in the purchase price for what you think you can do with the asset I think we knew if we did a good job with the Patriots, we could probably justify getting close to what we were paying, but then you were giving up all of the value that you were going to add or that we hoped to be able to add. And what we were really banking on was the fact that the NFL 
would continue to grow and 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 become a more and more valuable media product and i that was where the real upside was going to have to come from then at that point because we were giving away everything we thought we could do operationally in purchase price so he and i never had one of those moments because that was something we wanted to do but uh i know my mother uh put my dad through uh through the ringer because she thought it was a ridiculous price and she also thought it would uh impact their ability to do philanthropy for a while which which it didn't do so it ended up being a win-win as you look back if you were to uh sort of look at the changes that the patriots from the business side have gone through um from the new stadium gillette stadium through the uh, MLS team, the Revolution, Patriots Place, the renovation at Gillette, uh, and so forth, even doing some of your own productions early on at one point. uh, I believe you may still do that. My question, Jonathan, is how would you, if you were looking through the lens of the Patriots, how would you describe it uh, capturing, if you will, how the NFL itself has changed since you came into the league? Wow. Because um, I've always kind of looked at that as, as to sort of one of the teams to see what's, how sports in general is changing and sort of where the incremental steps are being ta- taken in the evolution of the, of the business of the NFL. Yeah, look, I mean, I think clearly both at the team and at the league level, the business side of it, it's just it's, become much more professionalized at the league level the league was really at that point when we when we bought in it was very much about two things it was about it was about managing and overseeing the competition um on the field and really about television contracts and they had NFL properties, but NFL ventures didn't exist, and there wasn't a whole lot of league-level sponsorship. And I, it was in the process of transitioning from being purely a manager of sport and selling collective media rights to a much more sophisticated business entity. And I think the teams were in the process of going through that same transition um, as well. And breaking away to say this show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward, with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. The last couple of years... Uh, the NFL has extended deals with, with some of the biggest licensees, Nike, New Era, uh, Panini, uh, and then, of course, Fanatics, um, uh, Electronic Arts. Uh, the Fanatics deal really in, intrigues me because of e-commerce and how big that's getting uh, as far as being uh, in proportion to overall retailing. What was it about the Fanatics deal, or what is it, I should say, about the Fanatics deal uh, that you really like in terms of what this could mean for the future of the NFL? As we build up a big, integrated, functional database uh, of all of our fans around the country and abroad, the Fanatics deal 
really lets us start to learn a lot about them so that we can tailor their experience with us in a way that's most meaningful. And I think the world is moving in that direction, too. Finally, um, I think it's known that the NFL made an investment in fanatics, a pretty material investment, uh, approximately nine, just under $90 million. And we believe that as fanatics builds up scale in the licensed sports business globally, so in this country with all of the leagues, NBA, NHL, MLB, MLS, to go along with NFL as well as all of the colleges, and then abroad with soccer teams and cricket teams and, and rugby teams, that, that the, the ability to play in, in the company from an equity standpoint, a company that will, that will hopefully do a great job of serving fan bases globally uh, with their licensed sports passion, for, uh, their passion for licensed sports product. You know, that'll be a great equity investment for the National Football League as well. Are there some similarities in, in, just in terms of the data and the importance of data on the customers so you can better serve them? Is there some similarities with Fanatics uh, as there is with the Amazon Prime Thursday night streaming deal? Yeah, that's a really good question, and there definitely is. So in the case of um, the Amazon Prime relationship with Thursday night football, we're going to have a much better understanding of how what people are how people are watching what they're watching but then more importantly the demographic makeup of those people we won't know who they are individually but amazon will know what what the profile of those individual people are and how much time they're watching which teams they're watching on thursday nights do they watch every thursday night and all of that goes together to help make us smarter uh, about our overall uh, fan base. And ultimately, whether it's Amazon or other people who uh, will have our live games and provide the, the video over an Internet protocol, you're going to be able to start tailoring the advertising uh, to those people. So instead of a company, you know, just any company, Pepsi, buying 30-second spots in, in a CBS broadcast or a Fox broadcast. Companies who might not advertise in the NFL today because um, a mass-market CPM rate and a mass-market audience isn't targeted enough for them, you might now be able to uh, get a product, uh, you know, call it making it up, something like Cartier Watches who could go to an Amazon or whoever might uh, provide streaming of our games in the future and say, I'd like to have uh, a million impressions this weekend within all of the NFL games based on the following demographics, you know, a certain amount of income in certain geographies who have done certain things in the last number of days, and now the ad rate for those people, because it's so targeted, will be multiple and multiples of the mass market CPM rate that we're selling the advertising in our games for today. And hopefully that'll work well for the consumer because they're seeing relevant advertising. It'll work well for our partners because they'll be able to provide advertisers with uh, a 
higher value audience, and ultimately the economic benefit comes back to the clubs and our players uh, with the higher revenues. So it should be a win-win-win for everybody. Uh, you know, we've seen media distribution evolve to where you just had the networks on the weekends, and, and then, you know, you had the Monday night football, and then that was built into then Thursday night football, and then you had the, the streaming with the Sprint deal on, on the smartphones and so forth. And I'm wondering, as, we, as, as that relates to now what's happening with licensing, there are these other sort of uh, events coupled in with the NFL, of course, but are almost separate. And, I, and I'm thinking about things like, of course, the Super Bowl, which now the Super Bowl is almost like a, a, a separate event from the rest of the NFL season. Uh, the NFL Experience Fan Fest, um, uh, the Pro Bowl. I'm just throwing these out there. The, the International Series games, the draft. Could those possibly be packaged with, with uh, sponsors that aren't involved right now with the NFL? I think that all of that would be possible. I, I think that as the, the league is constantly working on ways of taking all different pieces of our content and making it relevant to our, uh, both, both our fan base, which is first and foremost, but then also trying to make sure that, that there are really good tie-ins for our business partners um, because I think the one thing we've seen, and it's grown and grown, is that the passion that exists around the National Football League, and it allows us to, I think, have really strong relationships with our, with our business partners who are our sponsors. And taking a break to say there's this place in Bali where you can play 18 holes next to an active volcano. There's this fountain in Miami that goes off with every home run. There's this subway line in New York that'll take you straight to both arenas. There's an exciting and thrilling world waiting, and no other card lets you experience it like the business platinum card from American Express, backed by the service and security of American Express. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash my survey. It only takes a few minutes and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash my survey. Or click on the survey banner on podcast Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Turning uh, to Gillette Stadium, as um, I've kind of been uh, following what's been going on in terms of the renovations there over the last few years, uh, is my understanding correct? You basically started sort of in the lower levels and with some of the premium seating and some of the hospitality areas and have, have moved up and now are thinking about doing something more along the upper tier of the stadium? Yeah, we really, we built the stadium 100% privately. Everything here has been paid for with our own money. And, and we watched and saw how our improvements worked. And then 
um, are undergoing a, uh, undergoing a pretty significant upgrade to the third tier of our stadium. And I should point out, we have over 70,000 on a paid waiting list. And we're always worried about the experience in our stadium for our members. And this is really about just trying to keep the experience great and cutting edge. And so what we've done is we removed the last row of seats from the bottom third of our upper deck, the part that runs right up to our uh, concourse, and we built a drink rail that runs around the whole upper part of the deck. And then we took three lower levels of seating that hung over the southwest corner and we built a platform that literally comes out and hangs over the field and built a bar there. It's called Union Point. And, and it's just a place where people in the 300 level can go around a really cool bar with televisions and hang out, literally hang out, and then hang out, hanging over the field to watch the game from that vantage point. And we put a roof and three walls around it to really shield you from the elements there if you want to be there. And lastly... In all four quadrants of the upper level, we took what were our concession areas and totally remade them in also three-quarters enclosed uh, uh, structures called JetBlue Landings. And the idea is the wind blows up there. It can, it's a great place to watch the game, but once you get into November and December, having the ability to escape the elements while still being able to get lots of food and beverage is really important. And those were some of the things we've done in 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 our 300 level, and I think it'll be by far and away the best uh, upper level experience in any NFL stadium. And and you know we're a building that's 16 years old, and over the last I think um, over the last decade we've probably put about 150 million dollars into our building. It wasn't even that old, and I think we would probably see ourselves spending a similar type of money over the next decade as well. Jonathan, just to make sure I, I understood you correctly, did you say your uh, season ticket waiting list is over 70,000? Yeah, 70,000 tickets on the waiting list paid. Wow. So when I say paid, there's a when when I say paid, not the full amount for season tickets, but you you um you give us $100 today. So if you want four tickets, you have to you to get your name on the list it's four hundred dollars uh deposit and the idea behind that is just to make sure the waiting list is a real waiting list by people who want to become uh season ticket members in a way it seems to me you and in fact all of the teams are have to you're almost competing your your stadium experience i should say is almost competing against your success in other areas, and by that I mean, so now you know you, people can stream the content. They also have these unbelievable televisions with HD. So you have to make a very compelling case, or I should say, a more compelling case than say 15 years ago to come to the stadium. I think all of that's accurate. For, for us, uh, you know, HD television really changed the game you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, I lose track. And I think for a while there, people talked about, oh, the home experience is going to be too great. And look, if you're not investing in the stadium experience anyhow, forget HD television, I think people 
sense that, and you just don't feel good about going to a place uh, that that isn't kept upright and and kept modern, regardless of what the competing factors are. You just don't feel good about it. And certainly here in New England, uh, the tailgating culture, which is something you can't do at home. I mean, literally, our twenty thousand parking spaces at the uh, at Gillette for hours before game time, a significant number of them are already taken up, and by an hour, hour and a half before game time, we're essentially full. But everything we've done has been about listening to the people that come and taking taking their suggestions and the things they'd like to see happen more than it's been about combating the comfort of your living room and the HDTV. I want to turn to soccer soon because it's I've got to eat some humble pie on this. But before I do, uh, a lot of times you hear people say on, on TV or conversation about the NFL, because there's so much revenue sharing, winning the Super Bowl doesn't really matter from a business standpoint. Assuming you guys had won no Super Bowls since you bought the Patriots instead of, uh, I don't even want to say the number because you know I'm a giant fan down here in New York, but instead of how many you've won, how would you measure the impact on the business side? I'd be shocked if everybody in the league that owns or runs one of these teams wouldn't say they would trade financial return for winning championships because you can i mean the beauty of this competition is it's a hard salary cap free agency draft system and schedule scheduling system based on how well you did the year before with weaker teams getting an advantage it's as level a playing field as you have in competition i think in any sport in the world and and i think that that that's what drives a lot of this and virtually everybody involved in this game uh, is a, is a, just a vicious competitor at heart. So you want to win. If you can be consistently competitive, you've put yourself in a position, I think, where you've helped your business because brands will want to associate with you and people will want to buy your tickets, your suites, your club seats, visit your stores, watch your content, etc. And ultimately, when there are 32, I think that's all you can ask for. Yeah, because the fans are there. I mean, that's that's... The beauty of it—that's in a way—that's that's where the value of of these teams is derived from. Because you know we're sitting there as fans and we're saying, you know, that that's not the Crafts team. That's our team. Our team won today. You know, your team didn't win. Our team won. And, and I think you're absolutely right. What they don't want is to feel that the ownership group isn't putting its best effort out there, isn't investing in its stadium, isn't investing in its players. Uh, and, and that's why all the teams, you know, uh, to varying degrees, of course, but make that effort like to invest back into the community, have outreach programs and all of that stuff, because fans feel the team is theirs. It's not yours. You, know? you may have paid for it, but it's their team. Sure, and you know what? That's the way it should be. And, we do our best to try to make them feel we really do feel that way. We we do a lot of surveying of our season ticket members and then people that are fans that aren't season ticket members to try to see how they're interacting with us. And we're always striving to reach perfection there. We're, we're a long way away from it, but we, we understand what you're saying, and, and it does drive us. Okay, so, so now... I've got to eat some humble pie. So it was something like five, six years ago, uh, I chatted with you as part of a segment on Major League Soccer. And uh, 
this was for the TV show, the Forbes Sports Money TV show. And you were very optimistic about the league. Um, I, I left the interview saying, you know, man, I don't know. I was kind of skeptical. Okay, so let's look at what happened. Five years ago or so, Montreal paid $40 million ex- as an expansion fee. And now Major League Soccer is looking at charging maybe $150 million for an expansion fee. What happened? What did I miss? I, <laughs> it's okay. Mike, Mike you, don't, you don't miss much. Um, but I can tell you, I'm actually chair of the, I'm the chairman of the MLS Expansion Committee. And I can tell you that um, there are a dozen cities in America, uh, and virtually all of them, who are in this this expansion process, and virtually every single one of them has a very deep-pocketed, passionate leader. In a lot of cases, it's a bunch of people from the community, but all of them have all of them really have strong leaders, and all of them understand and are committed to building soccer-only stadiums. And I think I think what's happened is um, MLS. Soccer in general, I think it's just been the relevance has been raised. But in the last half dozen years, Major League Soccer, uh, driven I think primarily by our designated player program and our TAM, our targeted allocation money program, the quality of play has risen dramatically and we've become a factor on the global stage in a way that we weren't before. We're not the EPL, we're not the Bundesliga, but we're clearly now in the conversation. If you're talking about the top half dozen leagues in the world, I think you can say when you look at the quality of our teams top to bottom and the level of competition that, that we're there. I think the millennial generation really did grow up watching soccer abroad, liking soccer, the idea of a two-hour window. You know how much time it is. The atmosphere in the soccer-only stadiums uh, really is something special. And now we're actually, we're actually the last guy, if you leave Seattle out, because they're averaging well over 40,000 people, and they're in a downtown NFL stadium. But we're really the last vestige of, of MLS uh, 1.0, and we, we, we know we need an urban soccer stadium, but the, these buildings are packed. The atmosphere is great. It's millennials and, and, and new Americans, and, and there's an appreciation for the game. Was the purchase of the New England Revolution something that you and your dad uh, sort of came up with together, or was uh, more the idea of one of you? Um. Well, we at Foxborough, we were hosting the World Cup uh, when when it came to America back in '94, and Alan Rothenberg, who was chairman of it, and was the and and Sunil Gulati, who was right by his side, who's now president of U.S. Soccer, and uh, Lamar Hunt. Um, I remember they came and they spoke to us, and we in in right before the World Cup came and. Once we saw the games in 94, and it was the first time we had ever seen professional soccer at that type of level competitively, I think we had both been to friendlies, but never seen anything like that. And we said, you know what, this, this, there's, something, there's something here that makes a lot of sense. And look, the, what we all did in the first year of the league, we, we all committed $5 million to, 
have an expansion team back then, so the numbers have changed dramatically. And you, we owned a venue, and we loved soccer, and we thought it we we thought it made sense. And um, there were some tough times, probably seven or eight years into the growth of the league, but we've come out the back end, and and um, it's just it's a great group of owners and a lot of momentum and. Um, I, I think it's safe to say we both were were optimistic about it when we invested, and it's starting to really realize its potential now. I think one of the things I misread was, you know, you had mentioned the Bundesliga and the English Premier League. In my mind, I think I, as I saw those leagues, like the EPL getting a deal with NBC Sports, uh, the Bundesliga, of course, has a deal with Fox. There are others, I think, on, on BN uh, the uh, La Liga or maybe the Serie A. I thought, you know, in my mind, these uh, teams being aired here would hurt the uh, interest in MLS. And I think, in fact, actually the opposite has happened, you know, where someone's sitting there going, you know what? Oh, I like soccer. Uh, I, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm actually going by my daughter who's now 10. She really got into the World Cup, uh, the last World Cup that was on TV. And as we're watching it, you know, that broadened her interest. But in her mind, she's not sitting there going, well, I like this, so I'm only going to watch, you know, the EPL. You know, to her mind, it's soccer, soccer. It's all fun. She started to play three years ago. And the sense I'm getting is I think that the younger audience, the demographics are really in the favor. uh, It's a really good thing for the future of the MLS. I think all of that is is accurate, and you know, you look at some of the play. You know, David Beckham led the way, and that was a decade ago now. And clearly, when David first came, he was a world class player. But at the time, it was I'll call it a bit of a novelty. But what we saw out of that was we can't spend on our rosters what the EPL and the Bundesliga spend. But as a league, if we started relative to what our revenues are and survive, you can't spend it. But there were definitely players who were truly world-class that had an interest in being in America. And as long as we continue on that trajectory where the quality of play on the pitch continues to get better and better, um, I, I think we'll continue to attract fan bases. And it really is our goal to one day uh, rival the best the best leagues in the world, and we still obviously have a ways to go. By the way, speaking of Beckham, from what I've been reading, Jonathan, he's getting very, very close to being able to build a stadium down there for his Major League Soccer team. Um, am I reading that correctly? And if if he does, when he does, hopefully, have his own team down there, do you view that as a, another big milestone for Major League Soccer? Yeah, in our league meeting, David got an option on a club when he came and and joined our league. There have been a lot of machinations around that, but fast forward to today, he David had settled on on Miami a long time ago, and and to his credit, he's going into a market where there's not a lot of free land, and a and it's also a difficult professional sports market for just because it's such a beautiful place to be and there's so much going on it's but he's probably just the right guy to tap into it has a vision for building a great venue and it looks like he and his partner Todd Bowley have zeroed in on a on a on a nice piece of property and I think at our last meeting um, 
we at our last owners meeting about two weeks three weeks ago we took a big step towards that all becoming a reality and 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 i think we're all hopeful that this will be a reality here very shortly that's jonathan Kraft, everybody the president of the world champion new england patriots jonathan thank you so much for coming on today thank you michael my pleasure that's it for this episode of forbes sports money thanks for listening If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. Hey, everyone. It's former WWE host Lillian Garcia. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder how your favorite stars make it to the big time? Then come check out my new show, Chasing Glory with Lillian Garcia on PodcastOne.com. Hear me chat with some of your favorite athletes and entertainers about their rise to the top. It's about to get real, raw, and inspiring. So join me for new episodes every Monday on PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Napa know-how. It's Love Your Car Month at Napa. And to show your car the love, get a Napa bucket for $2.99 and save 20% on almost everything you can fit inside, like car wash, car wax, and tire shine. So save some cash and look good doing it by getting 20% off with the Napa bucket. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, exclusions apply. Minimum three items may not be combined with other offers. Offer ends 4 I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following following the rule of law, is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States Uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.